Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. For about 10 years, we uh, had a camp in the Ukraine. We had uh, about 300 kids would come to our camp. We'd work there two or three weeks out of the summer running youth camps telling kids about Jesus, had an orphanage there. And it was right in that area that's under some of the strongest attacks right now in the Lugansk region, right adjacent to Russia. And so we've got people that we know we love in Ukraine, and our hearts are out to Ukraine. Um, Some of you may remember Sveta, who came over here and lived for a while, and and Ruslan, and we've been in touch with them, and uh, things are pretty scary for them right now and for all the people of Ukraine. So I thought it would be appropriate for us just to pray for that nation. And uh, so let's do that together. Father, we, uh, we're so grieved by this constant uh, need for despotic dictators to uh, control the lives of other people to the point that they're willing to to take over a country or do whatever, whatever their motivation is, we don't fully understand it. And yet your word taught us long ago that there are just, there are wicked men in this world. I pray that you would bind them. Your word says that the heart of the king is as a river in the hand of the Lord. And Father, I pray that you would just turn the leadership of Russia away from this insane thing that they're doing in Ukraine, that you would keep the Ukrainian people unified together, and Father, that you would open doors through this, not only in your personal protection now, but in the days ahead for them to be responsive to the gospel in ways that have never been true before. And we pray for our friends that we love. We pray for those people. We pray for peace. And we know that you're in control even when it looks like everything's out of control, and we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please continue to pray for Ukraine um, and just lift them up, okay? Uh, How many of you were here last week? Raise your hand. How many of you are sitting exactly where you sat last week when you came in? Raise your hand. (laughs) I told you. We are creatures of habit, are we not? Let's pull out our Bibles. Go to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We call this the Great Commission. It's the foundation of everything we do. Not only the foundation of our church, it should be the foundation of our lives. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. As we're beginning this new chapter in the history of our church, the post-COVID chapter of North Monroe, it became so vital for us to return to our roots and go back and be reminded of those foundational things. Great commission. And so for the last few weeks, I've been lifting out of this particular passage those core values that sort of underpin everything else that we do. We talked about the message. He said, teaching them to observe all that I command you. We understand from that to be the whole counsel of God, the whole of the entirety of the Bible. It becomes our authority. We we revisited the mission 
He said, go therefore. It's not going somewhere else, but as you go, while you go, wherever you go, you're on mission. You're bringing the gospel to bear in the conversations of your life. And maturity, we're not looking for converts. We're looking for every person to come to maturity in Christ. If you've known Christ for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you should be more mature today than you were on that day. And so everyone's faith should be growing. And then last time we talked about multiplication, that it's not enough for us to be content with, you know, us four no more shut the door, but we've got to reach out. And in the process of reaching and living a vital, authentic life, we begin to grow in terms of our relationship with other people and seeing more and more people come to Jesus. Never been more important than right now. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, here we are on week five, same text, and this stuff can be redundant and tedious, but it's really what it's all about. And if we miss it, we really miss the whole thing. Because at the core of what we're, what we're talking about, at the core of what I'm trying to teach is it's not about us. It's not about me. Now, it's kind of a mixed bag because the gospel really is about you. It's about God so loving the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish. That's you. God so loved you. So it really is about you. But once we're in Christ, and once that relationship is forged and formed, it's not about us. It's not about me just sitting and enjoying the fact that I'm a Christian and I have eternity as my destiny and, and God blesses me. But it becomes about what God wants to do through me and with me. And I get it. You have your needs. You need to know that God loves you. You need to know He has a plan for your life. You want His blessing. You want a meaningful and, and uh, a life that counts, right? You want to prosper. I mean, here's what we want. We want, a, we want a marriage that is loving and works. Uh, we want kids that will do what we say. And we want a bank account that's full. And there are a lot of pastors and teachers today, that's their main focus. That's what they're teaching and that's what they're preaching. And, and you know, there is a blessing to the Lord. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and He adds no regret to it. I get that. I get that. But the subtle problem with focusing exclusively on that is it leaves us with the impression it's all about me. It's about my wants, my desires, my needs. God, take care of me. And it flips the whole purpose of God upside down because it makes it all about me getting what I want. And here's the thing Jesus said. If you seek that stuff without seeking the kingdom, you're going to miss it. But if you seek the kingdom first... All that other stuff gets thrown in. That's what he said exactly, Matthew 6, 33. But, if you, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, all that stuff you need, all that stuff you desire, all that stuff that makes life work, all that stuff, he said, will be added to you. So here's the final foundation. He said, go therefore make disciples of the whole world, baptizing them, teaching them, and here's that last thing. And lo, I am with you always. So the last of our foundations is this. We have to follow him. Now, I know that doesn't fit with our M theory. You know, I mean, our M uh, methodology, my alliteration breaks down because we've got message and method and all that other stuff, you know. But at the end of the day, it really is just about following. We are committed to following 
God's leadership, wherever that takes us, because that's implied. If He's with us, then what it means by that is, listen to me and follow me. Now, at first blush, that seems awesome. God is with us. Isn't that the message of Christmas? Emmanuel, God is with you. But if you think about it more carefully, it also means God is with you. And what that means is where you go, He goes, and what you do, He sees. And so there's a, there's a different slant to this, maybe a little bit different angle that we need to start with because not only is He with us, but He's also correcting us. And so here's the first idea. I have to let Him be my boss. Look at John chapter 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. So Jesus is telling his guys, I'm about to leave. But it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, and that's that word for Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. So I've got to go for you to get the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, watch this, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so what happens is He is with us, but a part of His purpose in us is to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And here's my problem if I'm being honest, right? I want God with me when I need Him, but I don't necessarily want God with me when I don't feel that I need Him. Because there are times that it would be in my opinion, more freeing for me not to have to worry about God being with me. Because if He's with me, that means He's going where I go and He's seeing what I see and He's aware of what I'm doing. And I kind of like my privacy, especially when it comes to sin. It doesn't work that way, does it? Psalm 139, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. And so God is always with me, and He has some strong opinions about the life He desires for me to live. You see, God is holy. Now, when I say God is holy, holiness isn't moral character per se. Holiness simply means set apart or distinct. God is unlike anything else. He is distinct. And being distinct He wants His people to be distinct. So that when I come into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, the holiness of God is transferred to me. The Bible says the righteousness of Christ becomes imputed or accounted to me. Okay? So I am holy. And there's nothing I'm going to do performance-wise that's going to cause me to be viewed any more holy with God. But here's the thing. God declares me to be holy, but then He wants me to begin to live out That holiness, that's why Peter said, uh, you are to be holy even as your father is holy. As God is holy, he wants us to be holy. And let's all admit, there's some junk in us that ain't so holy. It ain't so distinct. In fact, it's just like everybody else. And when that stuff happens, God in me is going to make me aware of it. That's called conviction of sin. There's that beautiful line in Psalm 23, verse 4. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Look at this. For you're with me. See that? Underline that part. You're with me. And look, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
The rod for the shepherd, you know, David's looking at his sheep, and he goes, you know what? In the same way I take care of my sheep, God takes care of me. And even there are those times where I walk through these dark places, I can be comforted with His presence. I know He's with me, and His rod and His staff, they comfort me. And the rod was a short club that the shepherd would use to, you know, kill snakes, beat off wild animals, whatever, keep them away. And the staff was that long, thin shepherd's crook. You know, we all have seen them in every, you know, Christmas play and all of that stuff. And he kept that long staff to have that reach if he needed to strike some, some uh, threat that, to the sheep. And I, I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, it's reassuring to know that no matter what danger we face, there's someone bigger in the fight, right? And he's armed with a rod and a staff, but that staff swings both ways. The shepherd's staff drives off the enemies. But sometimes it also corrects the sheep. Staff is long. You know why it's long? So he can reach us. Because when that little lamb starts to go the wrong way, that shepherd will sometimes have to whack him on the run. And I, I don't know for sure this is true, but I was told this. I, I've never been a shepherd or worked as a shepherd, never had a part-time job as a shepherd. So all I know about shepherding is what I've heard. But they tell me that if you have, a, if a shepherd has a little lamb that continually strays, that that shepherd will sometimes take that lamb and break its leg. And then the shepherd will carry the lamb around with him. And there's that beautiful picture of Jesus carrying the lamb on his shoulders. Maybe you've seen it, a painting. Uh, it's not actually a photograph. We don't have any photographs of Jesus, okay? But he's carrying that lamb around on his shoulders. And the lamb bonds to the shepherd in such a strong way that he no longer wanders. But that staff is a part of that. And it's crooked because there are times when sheep, they tell me sheep are some of the dumbest animals that ever lived. So it's really not a great compliment for God to have said that you're like a sheep. I I did have some shepherds in my church, and they said sheeps are so dumb that they had a sheep one time. They had a rope hanging in the barn that somebody had made a loop at the bottom, and that sheep had somehow gotten itself, its neck through that loop, and it spun itself around enough that it hung itself. He said, that's how dumb sheep are. But sometimes they'll fall off a cliff, or sometimes they'll fall in the water, and that crook the shepherd would reach in, grab them under the arm, and pull them out or pull them by the neck or whatever it took. And I got to thinking about that shepherd's crook, and I was thinking about, you know, those, those old tropes that come out of vaudeville and those kinds of things where you've got an entertainer on the stage, and he's really kind of starting to bomb, and, and the, the, uh, the, the shepherd's crook kind of reaches across from backstage and grabs him by the neck and yanks him off. Have you ever seen that Bugs Bunny cartoon stuff? And I thought, you know, sometimes God uses his staff that way on me too. It's like, die, it's time for time out. Get off the stage. Yanks me out. Says, you sit here until you're ready for something. And some of you guys are in time out right now. Because he's not going to put up with our stuff. And so his presence is both comforting and corrective. When you sin, he makes you hurt because He wants to call you back from it. And He insists that you repent of it because sin separates us from God. The the prophet said, my sin has separated me from God. And sin enslaves us. Jesus said, everyone that sins is a slave of sin. And sin brings death. 
And so when those things begin to percolate up in our lives, you can be sure that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to come to bear because He wants you to be holy. Not because He's trying to take away some liberty, but He's trying to keep you pure and holy and free. And so it's really an act of love. And sometimes we misunderstand the correction. We think, you know, if God really loved me, He wouldn't crave me, when exactly the opposite is true. The Bible says, for whom the Lord loves, He disciplines diligently and chastens every son in whom He delights. The fact that He's disciplining you proves His love. You know, one thing I learned real quick raising boys was we always had a crew of boys in our house, right? I mean, all the way up, there'd be a pile of boys coming and going through the house. And here's what I learned. Some of those little kids are little hellions, okay? Mom and dad are not disciplining them. But even if mom and dad aren't disciplining them, I don't discipline them either because they're not my kids. I don't discipline other people's kids. But I discipline my own kids. And some of you think, well, I'm under discipline. I think God's being hard on me and I feel convicted for all this. He must not love me. Just the opposite. He's proven to you that you're His kid and He loves you. You know, sometimes we think, you know, I must not be a Christian because of what I've done. And I hear people say that. I'm not sure that I'm a Christian because I did this horrible, terrible thing and I just can't live with myself. And I just don't know that God really loves me and I don't know that I really belong to Him. And I would say just the exact opposite. I mean, if you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't care about your sin. Man, when I was in high school, before I knew Jesus, I could sin with anybody. I was totally free. I could sin with alacrity. I never cared about what was right. I only cared about not getting caught for what was wrong. My whole concern wasn't what is right and what should I do. It was how can I get away with this? And then at the very end of my senior year, I gave my life to Christ. Right before graduation, I gave my life to Christ. And, you know, some things changed in my life. But all of a sudden, man, I was in for it. I mean, I was in a... a, a, a turmoil from the minute I gave my life to the Lord. You know, some people say, give your life to Jesus and everything will go your way. That was not my experience. The girlfriend that I'd been dating that dragged me to church, she broke up with me. All of my old party buddies didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. Not because I didn't want to have anything to do with them. They just didn't want to, they didn't want me around if I wasn't going to party. That was just the way it was. And then my family broke up. My parents got a divorce. I mean, it was a pretty bleak summer, the first summer of my spiritual life. And I remember the loneliness that was a result of that because my whole world had shifted and in many ways not for the better. But I'm trying to walk with the Lord. I had this plan that when I went off to college my freshman year, I was going to go to college with the guy that I'd come up with junior high and high school. He'd always been my best buddy. He's one of my old party buddies, but he's my best buddy. So we stuck to that plan. And I went off my freshman year to college. We're in the dorm room together. And it wasn't long before I was doing what I'd always done. And I'm right back at it, right in the middle of it. Only this time it was different. And I got to tell you, I was miserable. And I was convicted and I hated myself and I hated what I was doing. And finally, about November of that year, I said, enough's enough. And I confessed my sin and I went back to the Father and I said, if you'll have me, God, I'm all yours. And I never looked back. And I looked back on those times and I realized my conviction 
didn't mean that God didn't love me. It was exactly the opposite. It was validation of the Spirit's presence in my life because the Holy Spirit is going to convict us of sin. And the father who, who has his children is going to discipline his children. And so if you're under conviction, doesn't mean God doesn't love you. doesn't mean that you're not lovable. It just means that God is at work in your life. He's with us. He knows us. He won't let us go, but you have to let him be boss. Second thing is I have to let him be my guide. He said, I am with you. And that means I'll show you what to do when the time is right. And this is the key to staying relevant. We have to listen to the spirit. We have to seek his direction. John 16, verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, look at this, underline this part. He will guide you. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Now here's the part. Circle this part. This is the main part. He will disclose to you what is to come. I love that. When God told us to go and make disciples all the world, he didn't say, and here's how to do it. Here's the program. Do this, and it'll work every time. Go buy a bunch of pizza. Invite all the teenagers to come. We'll have pizza feast. They might have worked in the 70s, but they're like, hey, I had pizza yesterday. It didn't work. He didn't promise a method. He didn't promise a program. He didn't promise to give you a Garmin, you know, He didn't give you a a map laying out the whole thing. He said, look, here it is. I'm with you. In other words, I'm going to show you when the time comes. I'm going to disclose to you what is to come. And so there's two things that are required, sensitivity and flexibility. We have to stay sensitive. And this is where a lot of churches go off the rails because, to be honest, they're dying because they've substituted traditionalism for guidance. I'm not talking about tradition. Tradition's one thing. Traditionalism, that's the... That's the worship of tradition. One guy said it this way. He said, tradition is the living faith of those now dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of those still living. Isaiah 29, 13 says, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rope. Man, how many churches do we know that are like that? Their heart's not even in it. They're not even thinking about the Spirit. They're just doing what they've always done. And if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you always got. And that's what's happening in in churches. You say, why would they do that? It's easier. They don't have to think. They don't have to pray. They don't have to be creative or inventive. You don't have to flex or change. You don't have to risk. You just do what you've always done, whether it works or not. Because let's face it, following the Spirit can be scary and uncertain. Look at John 3, 8, Jesus talking to Nicodemus. So the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from. Isn't that true? And here's the hard part, and where it's going. I don't know where the wind's going. And so it's hard for me to follow the wind. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Not very reassuring. Who wants to be blown around by the wind? I don't. I'd like to know exactly where I'm headed and what the plan is and how will I know when I get there, right? What if you miss it? What if you go the wrong way? What if you make a mistake? Let me just say this. In churches, we're going to make mistakes. You got that? We're going to miss the Spirit. We're going to go the wrong way. We're going to make mistakes. What happens when we make a mistake? Here's what we do. First of all, we evaluate. We say, how'd that go? Well, that didn't go very well. And then we celebrate. You say, what? We celebrate failure. You know why? Because failure means, first of all, somebody tried something. 
And so somebody's out there trying. And secondly, we found out what doesn't work. So we've learned something. Somebody tried something. You know, I, I got this from, uh, there was a book called In Search of Excellence by Peters and Waterman. It's a great, great book on management and leadership. And they told the story about the Orida people, you know, the frozen potato people. And they said that they've got a cannon at Orida, and whenever somebody would have what they called the perfect failure, they'd all gather around the cannon and fire the cannon to celebrate the failure because they knew the value of celebrating failure. And on our church staff, when we try something and it doesn't work, you know what we say? Somebody fire the cannon. Because we want to celebrate those things. But then we terminate. We stop doing it. You know, and that's one of the reasons these traditionalistic churches become so chained, because what they say is, I can't try that, because if we do it, then it'll become tradition. And once it becomes tradition, we have to do it forever until Jesus comes back. And what if it's no good? We can't stop listening. We can't stop trying. We're going to fail, but when we fail, we fail forward. Look, I'd rather strike out swinging any day than strike out looking. Wouldn't you? If you don't swing the bat, there's a 100% guarantee you won't get a hit. And it's the hardest thing to teach a kid, don't strike out looking. Take the risk. Make the swing. Look, Jesus is going to let us fail, but He's not going to let us fall. Got that? He's going to let us fail, but He's not going to let us fall. And so we have to stay sensitive and we have to stay flexible. Following the Spirit is more like surfing a wave, right? A wave will come through the church and the Spirit's doing it. You catch that wave, you ride that wave, but when the wave plays out, you step off the wave and then you look for another wave. We've got churches everywhere that are standing on surfboards on the beach going, come on, wave, come on, wave, come on, because they don't want to do anything else. Got to stay sensitive and flexible. Paul said to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. By all means save some. Here's an important principle. The message never changes, but the methods constantly change. And when time and change dictate that and we refuse to accept it, then it becomes more risky not to change than to change. And you can, you can see that in people that build wooden ships and horse-drawn carriages and typewriters. If they didn't change, they died. And churches do that too. Carve, carve the message in marble, but write the methods in dust. The methods are going to change. And we're not always going to do what we've always done. And then I have to let him be my power. Jesus is with us. That means we have all the resources for the job we're assigned to do. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this isn't a physical power. This doesn't immediately turn us into this most persuasive person in the world. You know, I've got, you know, underneath my shirt, a, a, a Rick Warren logo that says, now I'm now Rick Warren and I've got the power to persuade, you know, and whatever I say, everybody's going to do. You're not going to be able to leap tall buildings with a single bound or stop bullets. But this power happens when the Spirit of God takes the word that you say, messed up, goofed up, bumbling word that you say, and He uses it to penetrate their defenses and explode in their soul. And when that moment of supernatural Holy Spirit inspiration occurs, that's where transformation happens. I can't tell you how many times people have walked out of a service that I've been speaking at, and they said, Pastor, when you said this, it changed my life. 
And that would be so awesome had I said it. But I'm like racking my brain. I don't think I said that. I've even gone back and looked in my notes. Nope, didn't say that. I've even gone back and reviewed the, the video. I never said that. But that's what they heard. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a verse. Here it is. Like apples of gold and setting of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. And I've got to tell you right now, I don't have the ability to do that. I can't say it well enough for you to receive Jesus as Savior. I can't say it clearly enough for it to change your life. But the Holy Spirit takes the words I say and He uses them for His glory. That's the power of God. And that power gives me strength to endure, which is the last thing. Let me say this. I've got to let Him be my encouragement. You know, the word for the Holy Spirit is encourager. That's what He does. He fills us with courage. A wise man once said, one man with courage makes a majority. And I think we're seeing that right now, don't you? In the Ukraine... Every prognosticator said Kiev would fall within the weekend, that it was going to fall immediately. And we all expected the Ukrainians to run for cover. In fact, the United States sent a message to President Zelensky and said, look, when you need to get out of there, we'll get you out safe. Do you know what he said? He said, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. I'm not going anywhere. And right now, I've got to tell you, President Zelensky is the most admired man in the world. And I thought to myself, imagine what would happen if the church lived with that kind of courage. It's already in you. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. That word is parakaleo. It's two words. Para means around or alongside, and kaleo means to call. The word itself means to encourage. He is the encourager. And not only encourager, but encourage means to fill with courage. So the Holy Spirit in me is speaking those profound words of courage. If I would listen to them, I would be filled with that same courage. And one man with courage is a majority. And I walk in that courage and I have the strength to stay and the strength to do. Look, life's not always going to be easy and our efforts aren't always going to be successful. Look at Pentecost. Man, Peter stood up and said, this Jesus whom you crucified, St. Peter, who had denied Jesus three times and one time before a servant girl, is standing up in front of this massive crowd of people and he's proclaiming the gospel with clarity and 3,000 people come to Christ that day. And you're like, well, that's how it's done. no. Look over at Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. And the Bible says the Jews from Antioch came and stirred up the crowds and they beat him and stoned him and left him for dead. They had to drag his body out of, out of town. Which one was the spirit in? Both. Life's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to work out. And there'll be times when it's hard and demoralizing and discouraging and it won't make sense. We got this idea in the back of our mind, it's straight from the pit, that if God really loves me, He'd keep me from pain. And when pain happens, we wonder about His love. Sometimes the greatest people who were the most loved by God went through the greatest trouble and pain. I mean, I could give you example after example. 
And I think in those moments, God moves in supernatural ways and fills us with courage we never had. He never promised us a pain-free life. He promised us that He would be with us in the pain. And when He's with us in the pain, He said, I'll be with you. What you go through, He goes through with you. What you feel, He wants to use to change the world. And even in that moment, you're capable of extraordinary things. You know, the best example I ever heard of this is a tired old story, and maybe it's threadbare by now. It's the story of the little boy in the concert hall. Maybe you've heard it. Ignacio Jan Paderewski, this great Polish pianist, was doing a tour of the United States. And in this massive, beautiful concert hall, there was a brilliant Steinway piano center stage. And all the people had lined up and they were waiting on the great maestro to come out and play in a way that only Paderewski could. When a little boy somehow escaped the notice of his mama, found his way up on the stage, was attracted to that big Steinway, walked over, climbed up on that padded seat, flipped the lid up, and in the best he could, started playing chopsticks. Dun, 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 you know. People in the audience looked around. They said, who is that? What is it? Look at that kid. Get that kid. Somebody get that kid. Where's his parents? Paderewski heard from backstage. Here's what the writer said. Paderewski heard the commotion, realized what happened. He quickly grabbed his coat and slipped up behind the boy, reached around him, started to improvise and embellish the chopsticks. The boy tried to stop, but Paderewski whispered in his ear, Keep going. Don't quit, son. Keep playing. Don't stop. Don't quit. And together they made a fantastic moment. When the work was done, the audience erupted in applause. And the writer said, and get this, and so it is with us. We hammer away on our project, which seems about as significant as chopsticks in a concert hall. And about the time we're ready to give it up, Along comes the master who leans over and whispers, now keep going, don't quit, keep on, don't stop, don't quit. And all the time he's taking our meager efforts and turning them into something magical. That's why he's with us. And that's why no matter what, we have to follow him, which means I have to let him be my boss Whether I let him or not, he already is. And he's going to speak words of conviction. And I may not like what I hear, but I I obey it. You know, God's speaking words of conviction into your life right now. If you don't know Jesus, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit is speaking into your life right now. Today's the day. The time is now. And if you know Christ and there's stuff going on in your life, The Holy Spirit speaking into your heart right now. It's time to deal with that stuff. Lay it on the altar. You're to be holy for I am holy. We got to allow Him to be Lord. And then let Him be your guide. That's hard. We want to always do what we've always done. We got to be willing to be sensitive and flexible. Let Him be your strength. You're like, I can't say it. I don't know how to say it. I don't know what to say. I'm going to say it wrong. Look. God takes in His power our best effort and turns it to His glory. In our weakness, He's made strong. And let Him be your comfort. 
even when you're playing chopsticks. Listen to that voice that's speaking into your heart. Don't quit. Don't stop. Keep going. Because he's doing stuff with you for other people you can't even see or imagine. So will you do what I've already done? Will you commit to following him? Wherever that leads us, it may lead us down a completely different path. It may take us places we never even imagined. God, we're going to be faithful to follow you. We're not going to go where we've always gone. We refuse to navigate by the rearview mirror. Wherever you take us, as the wind blows, we're going to follow you. Will you do that? And will you let him be Lord of your life in this situation? Look, here's the promise. Seek first his kingdom and its righteousness. And all that other stuff will be added to you. Would you pray with me right now? Father, we, we commit to you as a people and as individuals. We're going to follow you. We're going to follow you, Father, if you call us into ministry. We're going to follow you. We're going to follow you if you call us to missions. We'll follow. Father, we're going to follow you if you call us to our neighbor next door. Wherever you lead us. And Father, as the body of Christ, we're going to follow you. We're not going to chain ourselves to traditionalism and come near to you with our bodies and keep our hearts far from you and our worship of you will not be of traditions learned by rote. Sometimes we'll fail. And in those times, we trust that your spirit will pick us up, dust us off, plant our feet firmly on the right direction. But we're going to follow. And Father, we pray that you would empower us and encourage us as we seek to do that and use us in ways we never thought possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.